0: just thank you for this evening we thank you for the opportunity to meet together and brave the rain and we ask you to bless this time as we study your word guide and lead us and show us what you would have to see from all of this in Jesus name amen, amen. all right Isaiah 45 starting at verse 20 we've been looking how God has said that he speaks speaks to the people he had called called Cyrus to, to be his uh, deliverer of his people, that Cyrus would send back the people and not get any gain out of the sending them back. And we know that he lost taxes, and he paid for the temple, and he paid for the city. And so we have all that going on. Verse 20 says, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you that escape from the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the word for, of their graven image. And pray to a God that cannot save. Tell you and bring them near yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient times who hath told it from from that time have not I the Lord and there is no God beside me a just God and a Savior there is none beside me look unto me and be you saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord I have righteousness and strength, even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So this is the end of chapter 45 and it starts he says come together come together assemble assemble yourselves come together draw near all you that have escaped the nations that have kept away and remember why did God send them into captivity in the first place is because of their sin and their idol worship you know, and it's kind of funny sometimes we always think of the Jews as not being idol worshippers but when we read the scriptures God seems to be always condemning them for following after idols. And here we see them. He says, you know, that you and that you have no knowledge and and those that have no knowledge have set up wood in their graven images. You know, they they have made idols and they pray unto a God that cannot save. And And it's just something that kind of I've always wondered about. You know, how could people be bowing down before these idols, especially as they're described in Isaiah just makes these funny claims all over the place you know uh, previous chapter he goes you go down to the, you go into a uh, forest you cut down a tree you make a fire to warm yourself and cook your food then you take the rest of the wood and you make an uh, image out of it and you and you and you uh, uh, nail it in place and you bow down and worship it i just you know it, it's hard for me to picture that being the case but yet how easy is it for us to make up idols of our own we may not have golden statues that we bow down to but we do have things that have a higher place to us than God. And that is something that is very critical, and God speaks against it all the time. And we can almost, ex- you know, excuse Israel because they actually built gods that they could bow down and see. We just have things that we place higher than God. And uh, here he says, you, they take their wood, they make a graven image, and they bow to it. And he goes, what what is the ones that didn't? They know nothing. They have no knowledge. They have no knowledge and they make these gods. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. Uh, And he's talking to his people, his people who should know better. They should at least know the first five books of the Bible that God created the world. He called them out. He delivered them. The book of Exodus, he called them out with great miracles out of uh, Egypt. And then he kept them in the wilderness for 40 years, feeding them every day, doing miraculous things, and yet they kept forgetting God. And part of their problem was they didn't have any God to see. They didn't have a God. Every one of the all the nations around them had gods that they could see and actually pray to. And even today, that's one of the accusations against Christians. How can you worship something you can't see or know or hear or experience? And I'm saying wow, if you just knew Christ, you'd know that you could experience him. You know, I have no doubt that God is real because of all that he does in my life and, and the talks and the keeping and all the things that have happened, the uh, testimony of the word, testimony of those who followed him. <laughs> you know, and I look at it and go, there's no way that anybody can convince me that there is no God because I know God. I know God, and I know him personally. There's no way anybody's going to convince me there is no God. And they don't understand it, and I understand that they don't understand it. Their eyes are blinded. They do not understand because the flesh does not understand anything spiritual. Their eyes are, they eyes they can't see, and their ears, they can't hear. Yeah. They're blinded, they're deaf, and they're dumb. <laughs> you know, dumb both in speaking and dumb in intelligently because they think they know the answers. And this is the problem with the world. The world thinks that they have these great answers and great knowledge. And when, when you take God out of the picture and try to get rid of him, you get some really dumb ideas. Science gives you some really dumb ideas. Psychology gives us some really dumb ideas. Sociology gives us some really dumb ideas. Every once in a while, they'll fall t- they'll on something that's real and legitimate and biblical. Uh, I love it when psychologists do some four or five you know, year study, ten year study, and what do they come up with if it's a real good study? Just what God said in the first place. And it's like, okay, how many millions of dollars did you take to spend to prove what God said? now you had yeah, to do just on the Bible read. It. And yeah, over Bible, read, and you would have had your answer, you wouldn't have had to spend all that money, you know, researching. And yet Over and over again, when it's a good research project, you see that they just agree with God. The bad ones disagree with God. And they prove out in the long run that they're bad. They may gain whole footsteps, you know, footpath for about a decade or so, and then somebody will prove that they're wrong. And see, it disagreed with the Bible. Eventually, you'll prove it wrong, and we know that it would be proven wrong because God's word is true. And this is what God says You that have no knowledge, you've set up your idols. In this case, he says idols of wood, and you pray to those gods. If we are walking around with no knowledge, we will end up setting up idols. Human beings were created to worship God. If we refuse to worship God, we will worship something. Some idol will be worshipped, whether it's a physical idol, a, a possession idol, or maybe just ourselves. There are a lot of people that worship themselves. Their knowledge, their skills, their, their techniques, their beauty, their, their you know, how rich and famous they are, whatever. Many people will worship themselves. If they don't have a God that they worship, they'll worship themselves and make themselves God. We will worship something. You know, it may be the atheist who worships his intellect and his, his really smart thing that he is so much better than everybody else because he doesn't believe in God. So he worships his knowledge or her knowledge. We will worship something. And this is what's coming. They have no knowledge, they make themselves a God. (laughs) And God understands this. He understands that we are created to worship. And this is why over and over again, he says, get rid of your idols. Get rid of these idols. Verse 21 says, tell you and bring you near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared from ancient times? He says, get your idols together. Are they going to talk to you? Ask them. Tell tell them to prophesy to you. And this is, Jeremiah does a lot of this. Isaiah does a whole lot of this in the second half of the book. Get your idols together. Let them tell you what's going to happen because I'm telling you what's going to happen. So if you think you're so smart and your idols are so good, you go talk to your idols and have them tell you what's going to happen. You know, Have them tell you the future. And if they don't hear he's probably so wake him up. that <laughs> yeah. That was, Elijah's that was, uh, uh, just, I love that I no, Car- that. Carmel, you know, you're louder, maybe he's asleep, you know, did he go on vacation, maybe he's in the bathroom, uh, maybe he's taking a nap. You know, he taunted those poor guys real bad, you know. He could have done what Isaiah says, hey, they, they, they have ears and can't hear, they have mouths and can't speak, they, you know, uh, and it, God is saying, I've told you from the time past, so you get your idols together and you get them to tell you anything, anything about the future. One thing. I've told you all kinds of things. You get your idols together and let them tell you one thing about what's coming. All right? Uh, and then he says, Have not I the Lord, in other words, I've taught you, I've told you the future. There is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. God's getting a little repetitive here. There's nobody like me. Nobody. And by the way, if you didn't remember, you didn't hear it the first time. There's none, li- there's none beside me and there's none like me. God is constantly reminding us he is true. He is God. There's nobody like God. He created the entire universe from nothing. You know, That's an amazing thought. There was nothing except God and all of a sudden there was everything. When he said let let there be and everything came into creation. This idea that, you know, that they believe in the big bang, God said and all of a sudden everything exploded out. I believe literally when God said it wasn't an explosion we're playing out, it was there was nothing, and then there was everything. And then he formed it. Not this you know, spreading out that people like to think of. And you know, I can't prove that, but I just believe when God spoke, it existed. It just existed. You know, it, that's how powerful he is. He is everywhere. He is outside of time. He knows the beginning and from the end. So when he's telling us what's going to happen in our future, it's not unknown to him it's not even it's not even a prophecy from his perspective he's just reporting Uh, by the way this is gonna happen this I mean he could give us a day by day blow by blow minute by minute you know summary of life if he wanted to now the volume wouldn't be big enough to have it but he already knows every single thing that will happen because from his perspective it already has happened, because he's outside of time. He would be like us looking down on the book, and we see one side and the other side, and we know the beginning and the end of what we're reading. That's God, looking down at time, saying, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah Adam, you're going to sin. Jesus, yep, yeah, you're going to die right here in this part of the, and yep, yeah, Jesus, you're going to come back and you're going to take your church, and you're going to come back and rule for a thousand years. And it's, by the way, it's already happened as far as he's as far as he's concerned." Because he's outside of time. Yeah, that's what I mean. He doesn't have time. Yeah. He doesn't have time the way we perceive time. And we know that even in heaven, there is a form of time that's different from our form of time. And God is above that. He does not experience time in any format. All of this that goes on out there that we look at and say, God, what is it that you have planned for? us He can tell us. He can tell us. And I love the fact that for God, nothing is a surprise. Nothing surprises God. He says, Go to your idols, go, go have them tell me tell you anything. And granted, they can't talk, but they, they have prophets for their, you know, so okay, you, you get your, your idols, prophets, you have them tell us anything that comes from, their, comes from those gods, anything about the future. And God says, I've told you about it. And right in this chapter, He's already told us that Cyrus is coming hundred and eighty-four years before Cyrus becomes king and ruler and God says Cyrus will be my shepherd of my people he will send them back home he will cre- he will bu- he will build the temple and rebuild the city and pay for it and he goes out and does all of that without reward That's amazing. and God said all that was going to happen and in this chapter he's going okay if, if this isn't enough You know, go to your idols and have your idols give any prediction. And yet, they never did understand. God was something they could not see. Remember, for the Israelites, in the Ten Commandments, God said, you will make no graven images to bow down to. So they had no representation of God because there is no representation of God. We would have no idea where to start in an image of God. Because we have no idea what he looks like, and, ne- and probably never will. Because even when we read the pictures of heaven, it doesn't tell us. It says God sits on the throne, but it doesn't tell us what he looks like. It doesn't tell us what we'll see. You know, he's the life. He's the light. He's the truth. He's righteousness. You know, who knows what, is, what his representation will be? When he stood before Moses and Moses said, I want to see you, he says, all you can see is my backside. And then what did, you, what did we read on that? God gave his name in words. Is that all that Moses was able to see when he saw God, was this was the repetition of his name? Because he didn't, he didn't describe what he saw. He may not have been able to describe what he saw because it was so foreign and uh, you know, out to him. So what did he describe? God's name. God's name is all that he said, all that he wrote in that section. Maybe that's all he did see, was the names of God walking past. <laughs> Who knows? But we, he's, God is telling you, you them, think you, you think you've got something, go, go talk to your idols. He says, there's nobody like me. Nobody. And when we think about this, can you imagine God? Perfect truth. Now, we think we know what truth is, but isn't most of what we know is truth somehow colored a little bit on most of what we think is truth? We think we understand love, and we only understand the very tip of, of love, a love that would create mankind knowing we were going to sin and then die for mankind so that we could spend eternity with him. We can't even understand that. And that's just the tip of God's love. And it says, we love him because he first loved us. We wouldn't even love him if he didn't love us first. We think about the power of God. You know, no matter how powerful we think we are, think of him, he astounds us with how much power he is. You know, his created imagination. You know, we look at all of creation and see the power and glory of God in that. And then... We get smart enough to be able to, to use a telescope. And then we really get to see his power and his glory out there in the space. And then we make these wonderful microscopes and we see his power and glory in the microscopic world. Then we get to places where we can start looking at things in ultraviolet light and realize that God has painted the entire world pretty much with ultraviolet colors <laughs> that are only seen under ultraviolet light. Why did he do that? So that we could eventually find out about it, maybe? (laughs) Maybe some of the animals see in ultraviolet? I don't know. He's got things that are put into the infrared uh, spectrum that are seen only under infrared light. God's creativity, his plan, knowing that we would eventually be able to discover these things. We go deep enough into sea and see some very strange creatures that, that we have never been able to see. And God put him there from the very beginning. You know, we think about God and what he has done and the perfect plan that he has put together. And there's so many other things, like you said that we have created that we haven't really found out. Or Probably lots of things we haven't found out yet. <laughs> so he said, OK, one day man's going to get smart enough to be able to see this stuff. So let me go ahead and put it in place now. You know it's always been there plants have colors that are you know we think they're beautiful in the colors we see and we see them under other light and see wow look at the patterns and colors god has put on in this light and then we think about this if god has done all of this for our world what must heaven be like you know all we know about heaven it is better than anything we have here yeah, you know, the description that John gives of heaven is an interesting description in and of itself. The other pictures of heaven are interesting, and what were they describing? Things they could not even begin to understand. And this is all that he's done: the magnificent of his magnificence of his creation, and all the funny things that he puts in, like a platypus. <laughs> yeah. You know, makes me laugh. God, God had to have a sense of humor when he put together a platypus, which is a mammal that lays eggs, which is not right, has fur, uh, has some poison, po- poison uh, in, in it, you know, just all kinds of things that aren't supposed to be there. And I have a feeling he put the platypus in just to drive the scientists nuts uh, because, of, because of the way the platypus doesn't fit into any of their categories and other creatures that they have trouble with. But I think the platypus a lot because the platypus is so strange for them. But, you know, we look at this and say, God, what a sense of humor you have. You know, sense of humor, he loves us. Yeah, what a sense of humor to begin with. That's, okay. you know, and it cost him a fortune to buy us back. And we see all of the greatness that he has done, and he says, there is none other like me. <laughs> you know, Nothing we can compare God to. Which makes it hard for him to even describe himself to us. Takes up the entire Bible just to begin to begin to tell us a little bit about him. And even then, we really don't know much about him. We know how much he loves us. We know how much he cares for us. We know that we're valuable to him. We know that he tells the future. We know a lot about him, but we really don't know much about him at the same time because he is greater than us. His thoughts are bigger than our thoughts and always will be. And I've said this, I believe his thoughts are going to be bigger than us even in heaven. We are not going to know everything that God knows ever. Because if we did, we'd be God. And we will never be God. He will always be bigger, always wiser, always stronger. Yeah, probably. And that's what I said. If somehow we learned everything that God knows, he just creates some more stuff for us to learn. Oh, you guys learned everything? Here, let's give you some more stuff to learn. (laughs) I've been thinking about this for millennia here. There's some new stuff for you to learn about. I don't even think we're ever going to learn everything about him for what we do know. But he says there is none other. And then he says a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me, a just God and a Savior. Now, this is a wonderful thing. He saves his people. He protects his people. And he's also just. Why is he just? He was willing to make the payment that we couldn't pay so that we could have eternity with him. And when people reject Jesus, he's going to say, okay, you get what you asked for. You're going to spend eternity in hell. Because that's what you wanted. You wanted to reject the Savior? You get what you do you get what you asked for. When people say, you know, why will God you know God's a God of love, he would never send anybody to hell. He doesn't send anybody to hell, he gives them what they wanted. What would actually be worse? Think about this. Would it would heaven be heaven to somebody who didn't want to follow God in the first place? No, it would be that would probably be the worst hell that they could possibly go through. To be put in a perfect place where they have to worship God for all of eternity when they didn't want to worship God would be terrible, it would be awful because my greatest experiences is when I get that little touch in the middle of worshiping God, get a touch of his presence, get a touch of what heaven must be like. And that's only for, you know, seconds, you know, at best, but all of a sudden you just get overwhelmed And sometimes I think I'll get to do this forever without end and know how good it feels for those just seconds here on earth and realize there's going to come a time when I get to do this forever. I really get bugged when people say, well, all you're going to do is worship God in heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's all I get to do for eternity, whoa, would would that be amazing? Yeah, we, Yeah, they've never worshipped. If you can say that, you've never really entered into worship. Now, and I know heaven's going to be more than just worshiping for eternity, but I can spend probably the first couple thousand years just worshiping and not even be bothered by it if it's as good as what I've had a taste of, and I know that's only a taste. <laughs> so it's going to be much better than anything I've experienced in worship here. But so. You we will have whatever time heaven has. God is above that time as well. God is eternal. He is always without time. He's always going to be greater. God is all around Well, we want to be careful as long as we understand that. He is everywhere. And so we think about this, and he says, I am the Savior. He is the one that delivers. He is the one that rescues. And he is always just, always. And this is something that I am so glad that God is a just God because he will reward those who are in a place to get reward and he will punish those who deserve punishment. Now, for us, because we are in Christ, we deserve the reward. We don't deserve the reward. All right? Nothing we do deserves reward. But because we are in Christ, we will be rewarded because of the justice that God has when He looks at it and says, there's my, there's my perfect child. I see perfect righteousness because the blood of Christ covers it and we're clothed in Christ. Those who are going to get what they deserve are those who are going to stand before God in their own righteousness and say, God, you know, hey, I deserve, I look at all my good things and it'll be looking down and then all of a sudden they'll look down and realize that they're clothed in filthy rags, that their righteousness is not worth anything, and it's going to humble them. All these people who think I can stand before God and you know, talk to God about all the good things I've done, and when they're standing before God in filthy rags, they're not going to be willing to talk to God at all. They're going to realize how deceived they were. And those who don't even know, even you know, some of those are just think, well, I'm just going to go to hell. I'm going to go, hey, I dressed better than I thought I was i got filthy rags on, but man, I I didn't think I was going to have anything on. And they're still going to go to hell because they can't stand before God. Can you imagine what it will be like to stand in the presence of a righteous God? It is hard enough for us to come across somebody who seems to be a righteous person to us, who handles themselves well and makes us feel bad because we compare ourselves to what they're doing, and feel, feel inadequate, they're not going to be able to stand before God without that same feeling that you feel. And it will be intensified because God is perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, and people fall before God to their face. Now, and every once in a while I hear this, when I get to, I get to stand before God, I'm going to ask him, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to get in his face, I'm going yeah right people you're not going to do you're not going to do anything but be silent you're not and we will probably be the same way when we first get there even though we're in Christ's righteousness we probably will not say much before him the couple hundred years couple millennia this is what this is it Wow it may be a long time before we're able to speak. You know, I love the song, I can only imagine, and I know it was written about his father, but you know, I really do think that when we first get to heaven, we're going to fall flat on our face and we're just going to be thankful that we're there. Thankful for everything that we have, and we may not be able to stand, we may not be able to praise, we may not be able to do anything for a while. Now how long a while is in heaven, I don't know, but it'd be, it'll be a while before we can open our mouths, before we can even think. And we're just going to be praising God that we are there. We will be worshiping because there's none like him. The amazingness of that. Verse 22 says, Look unto me and be you saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. How do you get saved? He says right here in the Old Testament how do you get saved by God? You look to him. And this look is to gaze upon. And know that you need Him. Same thing we say I go to God and go, God, I am a sinner that deserves punishment. Cleanse me. Even in the Old Testament, God saved by that belief that you needed God to forgive. It is not new in the New Testament, it is not new from all, all of time. God says, You know that I and the one you go to you offer your sacrifice not because the sacrifice is what saves you not that the sacrifice forgives you but that you are being obedient unto God and we look you know and we've said this before who made the very first sacrifice in this in this uh, world God himself God killed the animals to make skins for Adam and Eve teaching them that Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And can you imagine what those first animal sacrifice was? They'd never understood death. They'd never known death. And all of a sudden, an animal, which was basically a pet for them, was killed to clothe them. You know, is that like a a, a correlation between Jesus dying too? Because animals were just Yes. uh, Yes. Because they're a picture of Jesus' death. Jesus had to die, which was God's most precious possession, and being God, but his most precious possession, his son dying for our forgiveness, Adam and Eve lost, they had to have been pets. You know, there's only been a handful of animals, and it could be that God wiped out an entire uh, race of animals because he would have had to clothe Adam and Eve. He may have, had, and there were, if it wasn't very far, there was only two of them, he may have had to kill an entire race of animals to clothe them. Wow. depending on how long they lived in Eden. Yeah, so it's, it's I mean that painting they had, I don't know, like bad. They much, they looked at those every time they would look at those skins. Yeah, well, even for God. Well, for God too, because he's because he's looking at the future or the you know, it was a big deal. What well, was why was Cain's offering of vegetables and everything rejected? Because it was not blood. He did not offer blood. He, he offered the works of his hands. God, this is the best that I can accomplish for you, and I'm not going to do things your way. I'm going to give you the best that I have. He, he had lambs. He had sheep, but he's given them. God, I work for this. This is my works. And Cain was rejected. Abel brought the sacrifice with the blood, how as works, he was told to. Cain was thinking works would get me someplace. God, here's the best. You know, God, I, I'm am a farmer. I, I mean, yeah, I've got my lambs. They feed, you know, they feed me and all this. But God, I'm, you know, I don't have a whole lot. My brother has the, the my brother has the herd. I'll have to go get a herd. You know, a flock for my brother. And I really don't like my brother, so I'm going to give you the best that I can do. And how many people even to this day want to give God the best that they can do rather than what he asks for? So, so the animal sacrifice is God's because God created them? God, God uses the animal sacrifices to be a picture of Jesus Christ. Vegetables don't cut it. Vegetables don't cut the, cut the, cut the cut, they don't have any blood. <laughs> okay. They represented, They represented works. Now, there are the sacrifices that God later on instituted for bread and, and, and wine and, 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 and pouring out, but for sin, for, the, for sin, blood has to be shed, which is why Jesus had to die to shed his perfect blood that would pay the price for our sins because we could never pay the price that, that was required, not even the animals being shed was a perfect sin because when Adam and Eve fell, they polluted the entire world. All of creation was polluted by their sin. Animals started dying, the weather got bad, the earthquakes, everything happened. You know, and that's hard to imagine. A world where nothing bad ever happened. There no no death, no diseases, and Adam and Eve fell and death entered the world. You know, that's, you know, can you imagine? And they had to live 900 years knowing that everything as it was getting worse and worse was their fault. You know how guilty he must've, that must have made them feel at times? You know, Adam and Eve sitting on the porch step you know, in their 900s looking out there and saying, wow, this is nothing like what God created. And, you know, by the way, it's, you know, Hopefully hopefully they got got past it's 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 your fault idea. Your fault <laughs> you not know, mine. Hopefully by that time they got, got to the point of it's our fault. But there had to have been great guilt in them as they saw death, disease, destruction, people turning away from God, knowing that they were the ones that had caused that chain of events. You know, it had to have been hard for them. And it says, you know, that God will save all the ends of the earth. What does this mean? Gentiles. Isaiah prophesies a lot, that Gentiles were going to be saved. Which is why it's hard to believe that the Jews never fully understood that God loved the Gentiles. But they didn't know the Gentiles should be saved too. Yeah, well they didn't, they didn't want Gentiles to be saved. They were the chosen people. No. They. So we look here and it says that God says, I will save unto the ends of the earth he goes, for I am God. There is none beside me. You know, and the funny thing is, the Jews, even to this point in, in time, believe the Gentiles are on the earth to go to hell. God created Gentiles so they could go to hell. If they weren't, if they were if they're not born Jews, they were they were born to die. That's a very dangerous belief system. <laughs> because it leads to them separating themselves but that is not even what the Old Testament keeps saying over and over again in the Pentateuch he says all these sacrifices are good for you for the, for you and for the aliens living among you God said he invited the Gentiles to sacrifice to him right from the very beginning it says so it says it very clearly now they interpreted it to that well if. If the aliens become Jews, you know, prostatized to become Jews, they can worship. Otherwise, it's not for them. That's not what God said. You know, here he says, I am going to deliver. I am going to save all the way to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. And yet they never understood that Gentiles were loved by God. Jonah comes along, preaches to Nineveh, and then gets mad because God forgave them when they repented because they were Gentiles. Not only were they Gentiles, Nineveh was the enemy of Israel. They were really bad Gentiles. <laughs> okay, they weren't just Gentiles headed for hell, they were Gentiles who were making life miserable for the Israelites. And God forgave them. And Jonah got mad going, I knew you were a merciful God, I knew you'd forgive them. So people, certain people knew that God cared even for Gentiles. Yeah, and this is something that is very important. We all are related. No matter who we are, no matter what color we are, or no matter what race we are, all people are related. We have Adam and Eve as our very first fa- family members. And all of us are related to Noah and his wife somehow through one of their three sons and their, do- and their daughter-in-laws. We all have common ancestry. We all are the same underneath because the blood is the blood. The anatomy is the same anatomy for everybody. The only difference between us is how much color we have in our skin. You know, some people have very light color, but, you know, technically nobody's white. You know, I love Ken Ham's picture. You know, he, he holds up a white piece of paper next to him and says, you know, I'm not white. And you can do that with any single person. There's nobody who's white. And there is nobody who is black. You can have some very, very dark brown, but nobody is black. And what what do you have in between? All kinds of shades of brown. Even those who call themselves white are a shade of brown. They're a light shade of brown, but they're a shade of brown. How much melatonin is in your skin is all that matters. The pigment in your skin. And so we are all related, and the Jews so the Gentiles are not, not good. And they're not, you know, somehow they're subhuman and didn't care for them. And all racists seem to do the same thing. We as Christians should not be racist in any way, shape, or form because racism is not God's way. We are all related because God loves the entire world. And he created Adam and Eve. And everybody comes from Adam and Eve. So it's interesting, you know, I love it because everybody thinks that Adam and Eve is whatever color their na- nationality was, or is. Now, to get the genetic variations that we have, Adam and Eve had to have been some kind of middle middle brown color, which would have the DNA for everything, or one of them was very white, and one of them was very black, because that's the only other way you're going to get the, the variation, okay? So, this whole idea that people have held on to for years and generations that there's some races and you can't get married between you know between colors is nothing but garbage. And we as Christians really need to get into that idea of racism is not something that we should be naming amongst us. All right? Very important because I have seen so much prejudice even in churches. And it is a very sad thing because we are all one creation. Jesus died for mankind. Not, not any particular race. You know, he didn't die for the white people. He didn't die for the black people. He didn't die for the, the, the Middle Eastern people, unless you group them all together and say, yes, he died for everybody, but not just one group. Because a lot of times the Middle Easterners say, well, we can't follow that god. He's the god of the white people. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, no. He died for everybody because we are one. Verse 23, I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. God declared way back here, (laughs) every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess, as it says in in the New Testament. Every knee, and God says, I have declared it. From the beginning, I have declared that every knee will bow. At the white throne judgment, every knee will bow, including Satan and the demons. Every knee will bow before God. So Satan, asked Satan will bow before God and confess him to be Lord. Now, when they confess it, Lord, the white right throne judgment, it's too late. It's not, it's not your heaven, you know, your righteousness and heaven, heaven confession. They may be made and forced to. Satan will probably be bent down and bowed on, you know, by force, but he is going to bow. Every man that stands and woman that stands before God at the white right throne judgment is going to bow. We that have taken up from the rapture, we're going to bow, but we're going to do it willingly. We're going to be, oh man, I'm here finally. God, I've been bowing to you all my life. I'm ready to bow to you. But every single person at the white throne judgment will bow. It's told to us in Revelation. It's told to us in Philippians. It's told to us here in Isaiah. Every knee will bow. What an amazing Statement that we have here. Philippians 2.10 tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. uh, Revelation 15.4 says that all nations will bow. All right. What a thing to be looking at. Psalm 22 tells us that all will bow. This is not something new that God just has made up as he's gone along. Uh, Philippians uh, 2.10. This is not something that's new that God just decided at the last part, you know, hey, everybody bow down to me. From the very beginning, we were created to bow before God and worship him. And at the end everybody will. Psalm 22 27 22 27, 22, 27. So we see all of this in 1st Kings 19:18 when Elijah, Elisha is complaining that he's the only prophet out there anymore, he's the only one worshiping God. God says, go do what I told you to do. There's 7,000 people who haven't vowed their need to, to bail. Elijah, quit having your pity party. <laughs> quit having your pity party. You're not the only one. I've, I've set aside 7,000 in a remnant. God always has a remnant of followers following him always even when it looks dark God says Elijah I've got 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knees just you go do what you go do what I've told you to do you know in the great tribulation period God finds only 144,000 Jews to be his witnesses you know uh, just a few just a few people that are going to worship him at the worst time possible and they're going to lead others to Christ during that period of time. You know, just, just, a, few, just a few people in the remnant. You know, and we look at it in our day and age and we go, God, how big is the remnant? But there's a remnant. No matter how bad the churches get as a whole, there'll be a remnant of believers following him. During the peak of the Catholic oppression of Christianity and pulling away from God and the Bible, there was a remnant of believers seeking after God and not, not believing in all the Catholicism and all the stuff that was going on. They followed God. There's always been a remnant. There's always people in these tribes that don't fit into the tribe because they want to follow God. They may not know exactly what they're doing, but they know that they need God, and they can't get to anywhere without God. And I believe that they are Christians as far as that goes. They know that I can't get to heaven on my own. God, I need you. I really don't know what it is I need, but I need you and I believe for them, that's a salvation prayer. I can't do it, I need you to pay the debt. They may not know the right theology, they may not know the right words, but God's gonna say, you're you're right, you need me. You didn't know my son's name's Jesus, but you know you needed me, and and that's enough. That's my belief, I can't prove that, but I really do believe because God is just, as soon as they recognize, I can't do it, God, I I need you. That's the prayer, because that really is sometimes people's prayer, even before they know Jesus' name, they go, they've just had enough. God, I don't know who you are. I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know if you're valued, but I need you. I can no longer do it. And what does God do? He brings somebody into their path to tell them who it is that they're worshiping. He may do it through an angel for somebody else. He may. Who knows how he'll do it, but he will do what it takes. Many, many Muslims are getting saved in the, in the Muslim world without anybody being involved because they go, God, I really want to follow you, and God comes to them in a dream. Jesus comes to them in a dream and says, tells them to go find a follower of the book, uh, you know, which is a Christian by a Muslim standpoint. And they'll go find a follower of the book and find out that it was Jesus who had told them to go, go, find, go find him. God will do what it takes for him to be found And when missionaries would go to these villages, they'd find people in the middle of nowhere that didn't fit in. They weren't weren't worshiping the local gods. They didn't really know what they were worshiping, but they knew that whatever was there was not right. And those people turned quickly to the message of Jesus. Probably they were already there, (laughs) pretty much. They just didn't know know the right word. All they knew is they needed God. And here he says every knee will bow and then it says surely one will say in the lord i have righteousness and strength even to him shall men go and all that are in incensed against him shall be ashamed says there will be those who name him there will be those who says i in the lord in god i have my strength and you know really that's all we have as christians we have our strength in him without him we would be nothing just as our hymn says without him I would be nothing you know, and I understand that that you know we look at it and how happy we can be as Christians sometimes why because of Jesus because of God he is good he is righteous he takes care of us and it says those that are angry at God are going to be ashamed and really, that is a true statement. If not now, they will be in heaven. When they stand before God at the white throne judgment and really see what God was trying to do for them, and God just reveals every opportunity they had to accept him. And I am a firm believer that God, right up to the minute of the, somebody's death, will right up to that last moment, will try, even at that last moment, to get hold of them with a memory, with an individual, with something God will try one last time to grab hold of them even at the moment of death and that might just be a memory of somebody giving the gospel message and God just brings it very clearly to their mind just before they pass away can't prove it but I really because God is so just and so righteous I believe that that's going to be true he's going to be one last time here's the truth It's on the cross with Jesus. One last, one last opportunity, one last opportunity. Because I also believe that on that last second before death, you see where you're headed, just before you die. And some people die with terror on their face, and others die with great peace in their heart you know, on their face and their heart. And you can, and I've actually heard uh, that uh, morticians say that they could tell that somebody was terrified when they died. Every muscle, every bone, in there, you know, everything about them is just in terror. And I really do believe that you, just at that moment before your spirit leaves the body, heaven or hell opens up before you. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or to be present in hell, one or the, wo- one or the other. So that one split second between when you're in both worlds for just a nanosecond, split second, whatever it might be, that's my belief. I can't prove it but I really do think that that's probably true. And God says, I love you. You're, I, you those who are angry with me will be ashamed. In the, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Here he's talking more about true Israel not just people born a, a Jew, but those who are truly Jewish in their heart. And remember, Paul said that, that true Jews are believers. You know, we use the term in today's world, completed Jew or Messianic Jew, that they, they are Jews and they are now understanding that they were called by God as a people and now they know God. And you know, this is something that's important. In one sense, Christians are part of Israel, because it's Israel. True, Israel is those who follow God, and we are engrafted into the olive tree, and made into the fruit of Israel. We did not become Israel; we did not take their place, but we truly are part of the of Israel's promises, and all that goes goes with it, and so we need to be able to understand that because of God, we are his. And all glory belongs to God. And this is the wonderful thing, that we belong to him and he receives the glory. He created us for his glory. Now what that means, I don't know. God didn't need anything and yet he created us for us to give him glory. I don't know what that means. All I know for one thing is absolutely sure is God was complete in himself and needed nothing. And yet he created man, and man's design is to glorify him. You know, and it sounds so close to a need, but I know that God is perfect and complete. He didn't need anything. You know, so I struggle sometimes with that. Okay, God, you created us to glory, give you glory. But why? But why? Why? You didn't need it. He didn't need any more people. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had been in perfect unity for all of all of. All of non-time. <laughs> yeah, he didn't need anybody else. They were in perfect fellowship, and yet he created the angels. He created mankind. Did he create anything else out there? Physics is telling him there's other universes, so it's possible. I don't believe there's anything else in this universe, but I believe there may be other universes out there that God has created in. Created things in. Can't prove that, but if, if uh, physics is true and there are other universes, something's out there. It had to have been created by God. There's no other God. There's no other God beside him. So if there's other universes. He created those universes. What's in them? I have no idea. Probably other things to worship him. <laughs> you know, but we look at this and say, God has created us to give him glory. God has created us to love him. What an amazing thing. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess or every tongue shall swear as it is in, you know, swear what? Allegiance to God. It's too late when they're there, but they're going to swear, swear their allegiance to God. He is Lord. You are Lord. And for us before we die, that is our confession. All that will confess that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. And that confession is more than just saying the words. It's really believing that he is Lord and making him Lord. And this is why when we can look at other people and they're not making God their Lord and there's no evidence that he's ever been Lord of their life, I can't judge them, but I have to look and say, is this person saved? Is a person that does not have God as Lord of their life truly saved? Have they really believed? And this is true. If he's our Lord, our life is going to change. Our desires are going to change. We're going to do what is our master tells us. And we have a hard time in America with this idea of a master and a lord. <laughs> you know, we are independent people. You know, rugged individuals. You know, don't, don't, nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me how to do it. And God says, uh, I'm lord. I'm going to tell you what I want and done. And I expect you to do it many of the, much of the world knows what it means to have a dictator or a lord over them. They may not like it, but they know what it means. We in America don't really understand that whole pro- process, so sometimes we suffer with, how do I make God lord of my life? And it's, surrender my, de- my desires and do what the lord, <laughs> do what the master says. You know, and so this is important for us to understand. He is lord. It is for his glory. If he decides that we're going to go through pure hell in this life, that's his, that's his business. He's master. And he's going to reward us when we get to heaven. And that's why we need to be able to look at it from that perspective. God, whatever you do in this world is your right because you're the master. You think about somebody like Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah. Made a prophet as a young man told that nobody was going to ever listen to him. Preached for f- over 50 years. And what happened? Nobody ever listened to him. He would preach and they would throw him in the cistern. He would preach and they'd throw him in the dungeon. And he'd preach and they'd beat him and send him out of, the, out of Jerusalem. That was his entire life's mission. And nobody, as far as we know, ever listened and responded to his message. How would you like to have that as your call? You're going to preach. You're going to preach. You're going to teach. And nobody's going to listen to you for your entire lifetime. Now, we still have his book, and many people learn from his book nowadays. But during his lifetime, nobody responded to his message. So much so that at one point he says, God, I am not speaking for you anymore. I am tired of this. And it says, in his words burned in my mouth, and I could not but help to speak his words. Have you ever been there where his words just burn and you have to say something? You know, there's a situation going on and unrighteousness is reigning and. And you, and you know that you've got to say something, and you know you've got to say something, and it almost hurts not to say something if you don't. Because it's like burning in your throat that you have to say something that God has put on your heart. You know, I don't know if that's happened to everybody. I know it's happened to me, but that's because he's made me a teacher. You know, and I know there's been times where God has just said, you are going to speak. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you speak. You, know, you are going to open your mouth, or it's going to be almost physical pain not to open your mouth. And speak, and I know I'm not the only one that that's happened. You know, maybe it's not as bad with some people because they're not really called to be a teacher. But we all have been there. When I, when you get done, you go, I should have said something. I know I was supposed to say something. You know, but you know, God is going to make His word and His glory be known, and if we don't do it, somebody else will be doing it. So. We didn't make it through it. We didn't start Chapter 46. <laughs> 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 all right. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to look at others with your love and your care. Lord, we ask that you will help us when you say to speak, that we will speak. That we will recognize that we're all of one family And avoid all separations based on race and creed. And we just thank you, Jesus' name. Amen.